Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. On Thursday, I had the privilege of attending teenagers, and they celebrated their 50th anniversary, and it was pretty cool. Got to hear, hear stories of this church uh, over the past 50 years and what had been going on, and it was uh, neat to hear the stories. And so congratulations, teenagers, for making it for 50 years, and I, I wish you God's grace as uh, we continue on as well. So celebrating that uh, this week. Um, this week... Uh, Linda and I are leaving on holidays on Wednesday for a couple of weeks, and so you'll be taking good care of those. Jeff Nault will be speaking here for a couple of weeks, and so, uh, and so I, uh, but we will be out of town. Last week, I spoke about baptism. We're having a baptismal service on June 11th, and as of now, I expect to baptize six people. And if you want to be baptized and haven't talked to me, please talk to me uh, very, very soon. Um, the, free, the Free Methodist Church has, has two sacraments. One is baptism, and since I spoke on baptism last week, I thought, well, might as well talk about the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper, and we'll talk about that today. Sometimes we refer to it as Lord's Supper, as communion. If you were an Anglican, you would refer to it as the Eucharist. Roman Catholic, you would refer to it as Mass, uh, although that involves the whole church service. And the church throughout history has, has thought about the meaning of communion differently, and there's been fights over it. Um, the Roman Catholic Church believes that when the priest blesses the bread and the wine, that it actually becomes the, the actual body and blood of, of Christ. Uh, for you theological wonks, that's called transubstantiation. And so many stories came out of the Middle Ages where uh, farmers would come to communion and then they would, they, they would sneak a wafer away and after it was blessed and they would feed it to their sick cow because they wanted God to heal their cow. Um, of course, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe in that. They believe that there's faith involved in, in all those sorts of things. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church... It takes communion very seriously. You, you, you cannot participate in communion unless you've been baptized in the Catholic Church. And if, if you, like me, if you've never been baptized in the Catholic Church and you go to a Catholic Church where uh, communion is being served, the proper thing to do is you go up and to receive communion, um, but you, you put your hands, you cross your hands over your chest like this, and that's the indication to the priest that says, okay, I'm not taking part in communion, but he will pronounce a blessing on you. And who doesn't want a blessing, right? So uh, if you're part of a Catholic uh, uh, service, you can do that. Now, the Baptist Church, on the other hand, would not call communion a sacrament. They would call it an ordinance. A sacrament, a sacrament mean is, is a means of, of divine grace. An ordinance is following the command of God. So in the, in, in the Baptist church, when Jesus spoke the words, do this in remembrance of me, they take that very seriously. And so by taking part in communion, you are fulfilling Christ's command to his disciples. And it functions as a memory aid. We do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. 
Now, I tell you all about different churches because I'm going to talk about communion, but I'm going to talk about it from a free Methodist perspective, as you might guess. And we fall someplace in the middle. But it's my hope that, that as I speak, it'll help you, it'll help make communion deeply meaningful for you. Um, I have some friends in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, you may know it as Greek Orthodox, or Russian Orthodox, or Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, and if you know anything about these churches, you will know that um, they use icons in their worship. Uh, they use pictures, and you'll see pictures like this that uh, aid their prayer. If you go to your churches, you'll, you'll see all kinds of these iconic paintings all around church walls, and especially on, on the ceilings. Um, now, some Protestants have wrongly thought that they are using these pictures as, as idols and praying to the picture, but that's not what these icons are for. What they are supposed to act like is, is a window into the spiritual dimension. You look at them and contemplate them as windows into the spiritual realm. They use them as a way of contemplating Jesus and the stories of Scripture. Now, we're not going to start using icons in our worship. Don't worry, don't worry about that. Um, our history is much less ornate than that. We don't have all the, all the, the stuff in our, in our churches. Um, but um, the window that we regularly use to peer into the spiritual dimension is communion. If you contemplate what's going on in communion... It shows you what God is doing on so many, many different levels. So this morning I want to talk about communion. I, I, I want to help you to peer into the spiritual realm and what's going on through communion. God is reaching out to us, and in participating in communion, we are also reaching out to God. So come with me to the night he was betrayed, it's the time of the Passover. It's a Jewish feast where they were celebrating the exodus out of Egypt and where the angel of death passed over the houses of those who had marked their doorposts with uh, a blood of the lamb that was, that was slain there. So Jesus is celebrating this Passover. And there's a whole, whole meal involved in Passover. Um, but Jesus takes two elements of that meal. And with those two elements, he institutes communion. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 records this. So when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've, I've eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I, I, I will tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So after taking the cup, he give, gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus says to his disciples, I've been looking forward to the Passover meal. He says, this is the last meal I'm going to have 
with you until the kingdom of God comes. We see the kingdom of God breaking in when he is raised from the dead. But at the end of these verses, he talks about this new covenant. He says, I've been wanting to celebrate this with you because I'm doing something new. I'm establishing a new covenant with you. Now, we don't use covenantal language very often. And so in our culture, it kind of gets lost. I, I think the best way to describe it is it's kind of like a contract. We say what we're going to do, and, and this is what the other party is, is going to do. Um, and so you outline it in a contract. But the difference between a contract and a covenant is that a contract is based in law. A covenant is based on the people making the covenant to each other, and uh, it's based on their relationship with each other. So we talk about the covenant of marriage because although there is contractual law in marriage, it is about a covenant between two people, and it's based on their relationship with each other. Now Jesus is saying, I'm making a covenant with you. And this covenant, it's based on our relationship. And not only that, it's based in my blood. I'm going to do something, and, and, and it's, I'm giving my very life essence. I'm pouring out my, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In the old covenant, you may remember that the people of God kept being the people of God by being born into the right nation. They kept the laws that were given to them, and uh, they honored God in ceremony and certain things. Jesus is saying, I'm making a new covenant with you. I'm signing that covenant in my blood, and this is between you, and it's about our relationship. You used to keep the law. The new covenant is by faith. What's going to happen is I'm going to write the laws on your heart so that you're going to have this this life within you that, that is not only about what you do on the outside, but it's actually I'm going to change your heart on the inside so that you follow after me and you do what I, uh, um, what I say, not because of what's going on externally, it's actually what the Holy Spirit is doing internally. In fact, I'm going to give you a new heart. You're going to love what's doing right. You're going to, not because it's the law, but because I'm changing your heart. It's a better relationship with each other. I've done this work, I've done all the work that needs to be done in this relationship. And what your job is, your way of making that co- uh, covenant with me is to believe what I've said and receive uh, it and follow me. So when Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood, he's saying, will you receive the work that I've done? Will you believe in me? And will you follow me? So in communion, we remember the covenant we have made with God. Now, if you haven't made a covenant with God, if you, if you haven't said, Lord Jesus, you my sin and I receive your righteousness, then communion isn't for you yet. Communion is for those who have chosen to 
to follow Jesus. A little later on, we're going to take part in communion. And if you're here and you've, you've never given your life to Christ, but you'd like to, then I'd invite you to take part in communion as a way of saying, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I give you my life. I'm going to, I invite you to come into my life. I'm going to follow you. That's what anyone who takes part in communion is, is saying with what they do. So Jesus instituted this the night before he died. Now come with me to the passage that was read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, I speak to sensible people. You know, judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we share one loaf. If you were here last week and I talked about baptism, I talked about how when the person went under the water, they were saying they were identifying with Christ and his death and his burial. And when they come up out of the water, they are identifying with Christ's resurrection. In many ways, church is the, uh, uh, communion is the same thing. We are taking part uh, in the cup and the bread. We're saying I'm crucified with Christ. We're participating in the blood, in the body of Christ crucified for us. I died with him, nevertheless I have life with him. Now, so Paul starts this out, and, and what he's trying, the point he's trying to make here is, that, listen, we're a whole bunch of different people, but we're celebrating one, one communion, we use one loaf, there are many, uh, we who are many are one body, we all share communion together. This is a group activity. This is what we do as the body of Christ together. So, the Corinthian church, it was really alive, but it was really dysfunctional as well, and uh, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct some of the things that were going on. Now, let me give you the setting of the church. The time people met in people's homes, part of the church service every week was to take part in communion, so the host would set up a a table with a big loaf of bread, a cup of, of wine, and here's what would happen, verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper. Communion table set, but it's not the Lord's Supper. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk, don't you have any homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. People would come in. They'd see the bread. They'd see the cup. Oh, supper's served, yay! And they'd break in, and they would take as much as they wanted to eat, and they'd drink as much as they wanted to drink. And... Uh, then people who got to the church late, well, of course, there was no, nothing left. No bread, no wine. People who drank all the wine were alleviated. Some of the poor people didn't get any. Well, so that isn't the way the church works. It's about the whole church. It's about the whole body, not just about you. 
So then he goes on to say, and we quote this almost every week, for I receive from the Lord, every week that we celebrate communion, for I receive from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death. Do this in remembrance of me. It's about the whole body remembering what Jesus did together. Then Paul goes on to say this in verse 27. So whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat the bread, eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment to themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Some people take a look at this and say, well, I'm not going to participate in communion then because, you know, I'm not worthy. That's not what it's saying here. None of us are worthy. It's saying you're, you're, you're eating and you're drinking without discerning the body of Christ. He's talking about those people who were the bread hogs and the wine hogs. They taught, take, took no thought of the rest of the body of Christ. It was all about them. It wasn't about celebrating together. It was about what Jesus had done for them, or it was just about the food itself. It was about getting the bread, the wine, before anyone else. Not good. Not good. Paul then goes on to say, verse 33, So then, brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it will not result in judgment. Spend some time on this because I've run into a number of people who won't take communion because, uh, you know, take a look at my life and I, I know I'm not perfect. I, you know, I know I blew it this week. I know I blew it yesterday. And so I'm just not going to take part in communion because, well, I don't want the judgment of God on me. Um, listen, there's none of us who are perfect. In fact, it is the imperfect ones who need communion. I know that your heart is to follow Jesus. You want to walk with him well. And it's proper and right to do a heart check before you come to communion. And we do that. Lord, if there's anything that's between you and us, would you just bring it to our mind so we confess it and deal with it? Because that's what people who are following Jesus do. They keep short accounts with God. They confess their sin, and he's faithful and just to for, forgive of sin and cleanse from all right, unrighteousness. This is... When Paul says he's talking about discerning the body correctly, he's talking about we're doing this together. Now, if there are people that you hate in the church, you might want to make your relationship right before you take part in communion. 
But forgiveness, choice to forgive, sometimes stuff in the heart takes a while longer, but if you've made the choice to forgive, come take part in communion. It's good. It's right for you to do that. So let me take some time for some questions and answers. Uh, first question. Does communion save us? Well, no. Uh, you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works, even the work of communion. It's not a result of that, lest we should boast. Who can take part in communion? Well, anybody who has received Jesus into their life and is choosing to follow him, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to come. What do we believe about the bread and the cup? Um, we don't believe that it transforms into something different. We believe they are physical symbols of a spiritual reality. A symbol is something that represents something else. The bread represents Jesus' body. The cup represents his blood. And as we take part of it, it's a symbol of remembering and participating in his death. Why do we not use real wine for communion? Well, sometimes those little packages go stale and we end up doing that, but that's not our intention, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's obvious that the Corinthian church used real wine because uh, Paul was chastising some of them for getting drunk with it. But um, we choose to use unfermented grape juice rather than wine because the Methodist church has a long history of helping those addicted to alcohol. In fact, for a long time, you couldn't drink alcohol and be a member of the Free Methodist Church. That's, that's, that's changed, but what has not changed is we don't want to do anything that will cause anyone to stumble. And uh, so we choose to do communion in a way that doesn't contain alcohol. And for us, that was part of discerning the body. You know, Paul was talking about, well, take a look at the whole body, and it's for everyone. For us, as that was part of that. So why should I take part in communion? Well, do this in remembrance of me. It's a command. But uh, the other reason is that we believe it's a means of grace. John Wesley, the, the founder of Methodism, called communion as the grand channel of his grace. And as we walk through communion together, as we confess our sins, as we consecrate the, the bread and the cup, as we ingest the physical elements, we believe we're feeding our soul. And God does what he needs to do to strengthen and encourage and, encourage and bring help and bring hope. We believe that as you take part in communion, no, it doesn't save you. But God does it, something in it for you. It's just good and right. He empowers us just as a means of grace, a way of speaking into our life his favor. How often do we celebrate communion at Asbury? Well, we celebrate communion about once a month. Free message dictates that we need to do it once at least every three months. But we choose um, to do it once a month because, uh, well, we believe that communion is important. Other churches do it every week. 
And uh, that is good. But we've chosen not to do that because we don't want to become it so common that we do it without thought. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to be a member of the Free Methodist Church. You just need to be a follower of Jesus. You're invited to communion. Well, this morning I, I started out saying we're going to take part in communion. I started out by saying communion is a window in which we look into the spiritual realm. Let me describe what I see when I peer through that window. As I gaze upon the bread and the cup, I see what happened to Jesus on the cross. I see that he was whipped, he was beaten, and nails were driven through his hands and his feet, and it was a most horrible way to die. And I know that he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have been delivered at any time just with a word. But he chose to go to the cross for you and for me. When I look upon the bread and the cup, I see not only what happened physically, but also what happened spiritually. Though the physical pain was awful, the spiritual pain was worse. I see the Lamb of God who took upon himself the sin of the world. The one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might know the righteousness of God in him. The one who from the beginning, eternal with God, the one who was God, pure and holy and righteous and good, took our sin, sullied himself, to such a point where the Father looked away. And Jesus cries out all alone, My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? When I look upon the bread and the cup, I see what he did, he did for me. I'm very aware that it was my sin not the nails that held him to the cross. It was our sin that nailed him to the tree. I look on the bread and the cup and I see I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are. I don't deserve what was done for me. You don't deserve what was done for you. We are completely, completely unworthy of a sacrifice. But I look through the window of the bread and the cup and I, I see the love of God. Although we're, we're, we're unworthy of his love, he still, still loved us. While we were yet sinners and covered in the grime of sin, Christ died for us. Unworthy and yet loved. That's the very definition of grace. Undeserved favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he died for us. I see the love of the Father. I see the love of the Son. 
And I don't understand it. I don't understand why. But I am so thankful and grateful he did. I look at the bread and the cup, and I see this invitation to walk with the God of the universe. I, I see that he did everything that needed to be done that we might have a relationship with him. My only job is to receive him. My only job is to, to um, well, just like I eat the bread and I drink from the cup, I didn't earn it, I just receive it. I just take it. And Jesus extends his hands for me and says, I've done it all. Just receive it by faith. See this invitation to walk with the God of the universe. It's just offered. I look upon the bread and the cup and I see the power of the gospel. And although sin may abound, grace does that much more abound. And the power of cross goes deeper than any stain of sin. And while we may see evil in this world, evil will not have the final word. The cross speaks louder yet and truer yet. When I look through this window of communion, I see the power to reach lives that, from a world perspective, looks hopeless. Because that's who Jesus is. When I look through this window, I see hope. I see hope. Because this world is not all there is. There's a spiritual realm. And Jesus on the cross conquered evil and sin and death. And there is a new life coming. And justice will be had. Wrongs will be made right. And someday the struggle with sin, the struggle to walk with God, the seeing through a glass darkly will be taken away and we will see him face to face. Because, looking through this window, I see his body and his blood, and I see his grace. This morning, I want to invite you to take part in communion and stare through this window with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I take a look at what you did in the cross and I am so humbled. None of us are worthy. I'm not worthy. You haven't been good enough. Or... But you are so good. Oh, you are so good. You made a way for us to know God. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Lord, as we take part in this, I ask that you would again, bring home the reality of what you've done for us. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, 
Take care and God bless.